Before we get going with this week's show, a word from a few of our friends. Let's begin with Race Lens. We're happy to be partnered with Race Lens and are excited to announce two new promotions for new and existing Race Lens customers. First, new customers. Sign up for an unlimited Race Lens monthly subscription and get the first month for only $1. Promo code in the money. Former and current customers. Special offer for in the money listeners. Come back and try or extend your current plan with Race Lens and enjoy 40% off any unlimited Race Lens subscription. The promo code for that deal is in the money 40. To learn more, go to in the money slash race lens. TaylorMade, TaylorMade Partnerships provides an unmatched entry and experience into both the racing and breeding side of the thoroughbred industry. Now you can be a part of top level racing and breeding with all the rewards and less risk and cost. Medallion Racing has enjoyed great success through the years with 66% of starters running in graded stakes races and 25% in grade ones. Last year, Medallion was fortunate enough to have an impressive four Breeders' Cup starters. Similarly, our bloodstock investments have discovered great value on the breeding side of the game, buying and selling such standouts as Improbable, Bast, Cutting Humor, and Flame Away, among others. Join us and experience the thrill with us, your family, at TaylorMade. And last but not least, our friends at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote board. Soon, fixed odds wagering will be available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Now, on to this week's show, episode 126. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 8th, 2022. It's episode 126. I promise this one is actually 126. Producer AJ last week had to correct me because I had uh, incorrectly called it 126. It was actually 125. This is 126. Um, How have you listened to this show? Thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the pod. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in the moneypodcast.com. You also can watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernie, your show. You will get this episode along with the 125 prior. As always, however you listen, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up over on YouTube. Also, make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way, you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In the Money Media channel, including this, the late show, the Players Podcast, many different special shows that go up, now live from the Brentwood, also Horse Players Happy Hour. Be sure to join us on Thursday. The contests usually start about 2, 2.15, right around Saratoga's third race. But then join myself and PTF, 4 to 5 Eastern. So we go over at least one live race, and we talk about the races coming up for the weekend, particularly the Breeders' Cup win in your in races all across the country. So a lot of fun. Please join us, and you can get involved in the contest over on horseplayers.com. For this week's show, it is going to be a look back at the Whitney how it relates to the Breeders' Cup Classic specifically. I'm going to give you my assessment of the race as a whole. And also, knowing now that we won't really have genuine shakeup for this Classic division, barring defections, until the Travers. That's really the next big, I guess, not obstacle, but the next big milestone 
for the classic contenders. And they'll be the three-year-olds. But then the following week, you'll have two more big races, both of them at a mile and a quarter, one at Saratoga, one out at Del Mar. They're going to have the lion's share of the classic division running in one of those three races. Uh, I think now is a good time to sort of reset the table. Say, okay, we've got to the, let's call it halfway mark through both Saratoga and Del Mar. We've seen good, we've seen bad, we've seen indifferent, we've seen a number of different kind of performances and, and ones that are hard to decipher and others that are crystal clear, this is what it is. Uh, I'm going to give you my opinion on all of those and then some, but I'm really curious what everyone else's opinions are. And at the end of the show, uh, right before we cut away, I'll just kind of go over a couple of comments specifically relating to the Jim Dandy and some other horses that some folks have brought up. Uh, but let's just begin right at the top with the Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10. I vote on it. Uh, my top 10 this week after the Whitney, also coinciding with the first future pool closing, uh, there were actually a, a fair number of changes. There was no change as far as horses coming in or going out, but the order has changed pretty dramatically. So I'm going to go in reverse chronological order. Number 10, Royal Ship. Number 9, Hot Rod Charlie, who falls down considerably. I'll talk about that more momentarily. The 8 is Charge It. The 7 is Cyberknife. 6 is Epicenter. 5 is Olympiad, who slides down a few slots. 4 is Life is Good, who slides up a hair. 3 is American Revolution, who didn't even run in the race. And he moves up in my book. Two is Country Grammar, and one is Flight Line. The one and two have remained steady from jump for me. They're, to me, they're the two with... I can't totally say the least number of questions simply because Flightline still has never gone two turns or a mile and a quarter. But on talent, I think he is number one. Life is good, probably nipping at his heels, but I'll talk about him more momentarily. In country grammar, I think at a mile and a quarter, he is. Our, there's a case to be made that he's the safest bet at 10 furlongs. So that's what my top 10 looks like. The official top 10 will be released sometime on Tuesday. For those of you that are listening on Tuesday or later, you can find it on the Breeders' Cups website. Um, and much of this, the sort of moving and shaking, pertains to Saturday's race, the Whitney. It was a giant showdown build as a two-horse race, more or less, with a couple of really good horses likely to vie for minor awards. You had Life is Good, you had Olympiad, and then sort of your minor awards figured to be between Hot Rod Charlie, Happy Saver, If American Revolution Ran, which he did not, and then you had Zoomer filling out the field. The race as a whole, by and large, is it wrong to say anticlimactic? Let's take a look at the race. We'll look at the replay. We'll look at the chart and see where there are some discrepancies and maybe some talking points that uh, up to you, the handicapper. It's your determination what to make of Saturday's Whitney. This is from Naira's YouTube channel. It is tape of the Whitney from Saturday. Life is good, prevails over a hard-charging happy saver and hot rod Charlie. We're going to take it from start to finish. Life is good. The most impressive thing about this horse is his just unbelievable agility. This is an extremely fast horse early. I would almost say, I don't want to say almost, he could be competitive in the Breeders' Cup sprint. Based on the way he ran, I know it was 7-8s compared to 6, but the way that he ran last year against Jackie's Warrior, 
I feel very confident saying if they wanted to, they could run life is good in the sprint and have a puncher's chance. I don't know if he would win, but he'd have a puncher's chance. He goes out there, he opens up, and then at this point, Irad Ortiz is able to get him to relax a little bit. 23-3 and three for the opening quarter mile. Olympiad is in that position that he has wanted throughout his career, going a route of ground. But this is when things get a little bit kind of quirky. Life is good all of a sudden puts three or four lengths on the field. And in my head, I'm watching it going, boy, they are not riding him like they're afraid of the distance, which in my mind is a good thing. Hot Rod Charlie's coming up the inside. You see the half goes up in 46-4. and four. Meanwhile, toward the back, you've got Happy Saver, who's starting to move along a little bit. And I thought it was a little peculiar that Junior Alvarado and Olympiad started to lose a little bit of ground. You see Junior now starting to, starting to push a little bit. And Olympiad's kind of responding, but not instantaneously. Meanwhile, on the front, you've got Life is Good cruising along right now. Hot Rod Charlie's warming up. He looks like he's going to make a serious run at this thing. But the most serious bit, in my opinion, comes from Happy Saver. You see him rolling right now beneath John Velasquez. At this point right now, when Life is Good has not gotten away from everyone, he hasn't gotten that separation, I'm getting a little nervous thinking, oh my goodness, Happy Saver on the inside is going to win the freaking Whitney at 13 or 14 to 1. You're going to see Life is Good comes over here under the right-handed urging. Then you're going to see Johnny tip out on Happy Saver. I don't think it made a difference. We'll talk about it a little bit more momentarily. But you watch this finish. Yes, Life is Good stays to task. But Happy Saver comes along. Hot Rod Charlie's right there. Olympiad was a complete no-show. And rounding out your field is Zoomer, which, again, fine. They took a shot. You understand. Let's get the brass tacks. There's a major discrepancy as far as the two, I would say, two of anyway. I won't say the two. But two of the more widely used commercial speed figures. And the two that I typically reference on here. Not that I don't use other products, not that I don't use, you know, I've brought up the computer program. I use HTR from Ken Massa. I, I've used Thorograph. I use Jerry Brown's numbers. Uh, but just purely on sort of a day-to-day -day basis, Buyer and Timeform US are two of the more well-known numbers. Life is Good earns a 107 buyer speed figure on the buyer scale, which when I first looked at it, I was like, yeah, okay, I could see it. You know, and again, there's a, there's a method to the madness, but I feel like all of the numbers sort of jive. Happy Saver a 104, Hot Rod Charlie a 104, Olympiad a 93, Zoomer a 45. Timeform US, meanwhile, has, with the pace being adjusted, life is good running a 136. Not factoring in the pace, a 133. Now, those of you that are new to the show, there's roughly about a 20-point difference between Timeform US and Buyer. Timeform US is roughly 20 points higher, which would suggest that Life is Good ran somewhere around a 113. Happy Saver, a 131 Timeform US rating. You look at that as about a 111. Hot Rod Charlie, same boat, 111. Olympiad, a 122. That comes down to a 102. And Zoomer, again, Zoomer for... The rest of this conversation will not be discussed. That's a major difference. That's six to seven points for most of these horses. And depending on how you look at it, it's either an exceptionally fast race or a, a pretty fast race. And when I watch it visually, I go, I think it's a pretty fast race. I don't think it's an exceptionally fast race. 
Life is Good is the kind of horse that if you bet him, let's say in the Breeders' Cup Classic, right? You're going to get to that final eighth of a mile and you're going to have to just hold your breath. Because I know when you take a look at the incremental splits through Daily Racing Form's Formulator product, and they may be different than Trackus. I have not looked, to be fair. But based on the numbers that are in Formulator, Life is Good was the second fastest finisher in the race and only slightly behind Hot Rod Charlie, who finished the fastest. Life is Good in 13.29, Hot Rod Charlie in 13.22, Happy Saver 13.38, and Olympiad 14 and change. Two things. Typically, I'm thinking of that final quarter in a mile and a quarter race. We talk about it specifically derby time, but it applies for really any mile and a quarter race. If you can get it sub 26, I feel pretty good about your chances, assuming you're not a deep closer. If you can live in that 25 and 4 kind of range, I think you got a pretty good chance. Now, it's it's too elementary, too basic to just say, well, double up that final eighth, and that's what you're looking at. Because in all likelihood, they're going to be going even slower for that next eighth of a mile. But even if you just wanted to go with the very basic elementary way of doing it, double up that 13 and 1 for life is good. 13, 2, 9, let's call it 13, 3. He gets his final quarter mile in a mile and a quarter race in 26.6. Not bad, especially for a horse that's as fast early as he is, but it's far from a slam dunk in my opinion. Especially when there are other horses who do have early foot that I think can be competitive with his, specifically Flightline, who is, you know, the one thing I feel relatively confident about with Flightline, other than he has otherworldly talent. And let, let's make no bones about it. I think we could possibly have two of the more talented runners that we've had since the, the Gunrunner Arrowgate sort of grouping. Throw California Chrome in there as well. Life is good in flight line. Purely on talent, I think, are two of the more gifted horses. But that doesn't mean that they're slam dunks. There are still dynamics that go into races, and they don't always work in your favor. So life is good, as brilliant as he is. And I, I firmly believe, you know, I, I said it when they broke from the gate, you're showing the replay. I think if they really, really wanted to, and the same goes for flight line. If you wanted to run them in the Breeders' Cup Sprint at 6, I think they would have maybe not as good a chance to win at 10, but pretty darn close. It's very, very close. I think it would be a coin flip. Now, competition-wise, sure, you'd have to deal with Jackie's Warrior in the Sprint compared to all the horses that we've talked about for the Classic, but I, I think that those two are fast enough early that they could win a three-quarter grade one kind of race. At 10 furlongs, you're going to hit the top of the lane the first Saturday in November at Keeneland. And life is good in flight line if they have not dueled each other into submission at that point. The acid test is going to hit both of them right then and there. And I know flight line is going to go 10 furlongs in the Pacific Classic. But, well, I shouldn't say in all likelihood he's just going to pass that test because he's got to deal with country grammar. But I'm just purely thinking the, the two most brilliant horses of this group. Life is good and flight line. What is the question with with each one of them right now? Is how far do they want to go? Now, flight line hasn't even had a chance to do it. I mean, you can go back and listen to this show last year when he won that N1X down at Del Mar going 7-8. I said, I think he actually wants to go much, much longer, much farther. 
He, he to me, he's a proper route horse. Life is good is a route horse, but is he a ten for a long route horse? Is he a classic distance horse? The only time he's tried it, he got extremely tired at the end. Now they rode him differently on Saturday. They let him just cruise out there. I'm not saying that they wouldn't do the same thing at Keeneland. But even if he's on the lead at the top of the lane, I think that final eighth of a mile for anyone backing him is going to be very precarious. Because if, if he hits the wall at any point, there's too much quality in this year's group to think that he'll just be able to keep going on with it. If he gets a little leg weary. And maybe he won't. But I watched this race, and I'm a little bit dubious about how far he really wants to go. I think this nine may be his... his Pushing his peak. I think he's better even shorter. I think he's brilliant up to eight and a half. You get to nine. He's exceptional, but he's not. Mm. Beyond that, I think it's, it's a complete unknown. And at an extremely short price, I'm not particularly interested in finding out. Let's go to Olympiad before I give you the real reason I'm looking at this race with a little bit of side eye. Olympiad, when I'm watching the replay, I didn't watch the race live. I saw it probably 20 minutes after it happened. And I saw that, you know, going into the far turn, Junior's trying to get him going a little bit. And he starts to move a hair, but he's just kind of going up and down. And then, really, you could tell as they turn for home, he wasn't running. And I suppose you can look at it and say, well, he's finally taken on good company. I was on Nick Luck's podcast, and, and prior to us going on, we were chatting a little bit. And I think Nick even brought it up. You know, there, that's one one way you could look at it and say he finally got tested by an elite horse and he just he just couldn't pass the test. You can also throw out the possibility that maybe Saratoga wasn't to his liking, but guess what? He earned a 105 last year going shorter there. So I don't really prescribe to that, although the weather and the track all day was a little bit funny. For lack of a better explanation, and I know not everyone buys into this theory. But I'm I'm going to chalk it up. I'm going to say he bounced. That's how I'm going to approach Olympiad. I know what I saw at Churchill Downs. It was a brilliant, brilliant performance. Next level. His races prior, I thought they were all really good, but against slightly lesser than. His foster, I thought, against a good field was off the charts. So good, though, that maybe it took a little bit of the starch out of him. Wouldn't be the first horse we've ever seen regress from a career top, a far and away career top. I'm not ready to write him off. I think it's a little bit premature. If we see him come back, and I believe I had read in the Daily Racing Forum that Mott had suggested that the Jockey Club Gold Cup could be next up. If we see him come back in four weeks and he doesn't run better... Sure, you could use the Saratoga piece possibly as an excuse, but if he doesn't run better, if he doesn't get close to that Foster, maybe somewhere between the Foster and the Ali Sheba, somewhere in that ballpark, a mid-100 buyer, 105-106. If he doesn't get back to that, then I'd be concerned. But I'm going to just, for lack of a better way of approaching it, draw a line through it. I just don't think he fired. For whatever reason, I'm throwing out the scenario that he bounced off of a far and away career best effort in the foster let's go to hot rod charlie before i really get to the, the the crux of the race hot rod charlie 
I feel like any time I talk about him, it probably comes off as me sounding like I don't like the horse. He's very admirable. He, he's a gutsy horse. You would love to own him. He shows up and dances every dance. He's competitive in all of them. More often than not, against the best of the best, he doesn't quite get it done. When he didn't make the front or even come close to making the front, he said, hey, I just don't think he's going to win this race. To me, he is a horse that, and I said it on Horse Players Happy Hour on Thursday, if he's not controlling things, I just don't think he really has a, a big-time chance to win one of these races. I think what you saw is very likely and very logical for the remainder of his career. Let's say he shows up in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. They haven't ruled that out. If he makes the front, all bets are off. He could absolutely win. But let's think about the Breeders' Cup Classic. He's run well at Keeneland in the past. That's when he almost shocked the world in the Juvenile a couple of years ago. If he doesn't make the front there, I don't see him winning. He could be a, a really nice key for your exotics. You know, if you're playing an exacta, a try, or a super, key him underneath. But I just don't, if he has to pass horses, I'm not convinced that he can do it against the best of the best. I'm just not. I, I, there's, there's too, there's too large a body of work for me to think otherwise. When he's on the front, he turns into a bit of a different horse. When he's not, he's extremely good, but there's a, there's a bit of a, a hole there. Really nice horse. Don't know that he's Breeders' Cup Classic winning caliber. Absolutely can cash a check, though. Nice horse. Would love to own him. I hope. I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they keep him in training. Because he feels like that sort of horse that why, why not just keep going? Relatively modestly bred. I mean, he's taken these, these, this group of folks on an unbelievable journey. And why not keep going? I just, I, I would, I don't know that I could fully buy into him, though, winning one of these giant races, assuming he doesn't make the leap. The real reason I'm inclined to look at the figs and say even the buyer I'm a little bit okay compared to the time form US numbers happy saver I feel like I know what happy saver is happy saver is a horse that throughout his entire career has lived between a mid 90 and a low 100 and yes, it's absolutely possible he ran a career best on Saturday in the Whitney. Buyer Associates gave him a 104. It is a career best by one point. He never changed leads at any point. And when it looked like for a minute he was going to win, I said, what am I going to, what am I supposed to do with this race? Happy saver. Am I, I have such a hard time seeing a horse like this in a year like this. Winning a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. He's a very good horse. But if I'm sitting here saying I'm dubious about Hot Rod Charlie winning, how can I possibly sit here and say I love Happy Saver as a Breeders' Cup Classic caliber, you know, potential win candidate? So when he doesn't change leads, he earns a 104 buyer to run second in this race. I'm like, okay, um, not great. Not great, but, you know, suppose it's possible. And then the time form number suggests, and granted, time form U.S. had his last race much faster 
than Bayer did as well. But a 131. I mean, one th- north of 130, you're, you're living in the elite category. And I just, if, if I'm translating that to a buyer of a 111, I just don't see it. I don't, I, I just don't see it. Um, I could be way, way off. He's a five-year-old. He's fully matured. Maybe he just, you know, is a, a horse that wants to run all day long. You know, can't wait to get back out to a mile and a quarter. I feel like I've, I've seen Happy Saver enough to know what he is. I thought watching the workout tapes leading into the race, his workout buddy was American Revolution. I thought American Revolution was going considerably easier than Happy Saver. Not that they were really pushing on Happy Saver to keep up with him, but I thought American Revolution was just cruising. So in my head, I'm, I'm looking at that, and then I watch the race, and I go, American Revolution absolutely could have won this thing. If Happy Saver got within two lengths, American Revolution would have been very close to that. I am very confident of that. Doesn't mean he's going to win the jockey club. I hope he does. I hope he runs well. I bet him in the Breeders' Cup future pool. Put 100 on him at 30 to 1. Because I think he'll run well in the jockey club. And that's that second pool for the future wager. And I'm sure it'll be a fraction of that price if he does run well. But happy saver is what is giving me cause for pause. When looking at this race as a whole. Because if, if, especially if you're all in on the Timeform US figs. Because there's a part of me that just doesn't think that Happy Saver has improved so dramatically in his last two races. I think he's run well. Life is good. I think, yes, it's a regression from some of the numbers he's accustomed to putting up. But I think that's in large part because of the distance. I think he's brilliant at eight and a half or less. I think you get out to nine or more, that's when the water gets a little bit deep. Hot Rod Charlie, I, I think he's a really, really cool horse. I hope they keep going on with him. I just don't know that I see him winning a race of this caliber unless he's controlling it from start to finish. In Olympiad, I'm going to call it a bounce. I'm going to give him a mulligan and say for whatever reason he didn't fire Saturday, hopefully wherever he shows up next, we get the real version of him. That's my assessment of the Breeders' Cup Classic. Let me know your, or excuse me, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Many horses that will be running in it. Of the Whitney, let me know your thoughts about the race as a whole, what to make of it beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. And now, answering a few questions from listeners and viewers pertaining to the Jim Dandy. One runner specifically, but a couple of them. And then how they all tie into this group that we just chatted about. Let's talk about that now. This is a little bit out of order. Uh, This segment I had filmed, I looked at it for whatever reason. It was enormous. Massive, massive file. and would have taken about 14 days to upload. So uh, I'm going to go and and redo it. And hopefully it comes out as good as it did the first time. Uh, This was initially going to be more uh, a matter of how the Whitney Field and the older horses related to the three-year-olds from the Jim Dandy. But there were a couple of comments I feel like are at least worth acknowledging. and, And two of them kind of stick together and fit quite well together so uh, let's start off with a combination of bill amsdell and jay beckenstein that's what we're gonna this segment's gonna be all about let's begin with bill bill's comment from last week's show beneath the video player on youtube i don't see a travers winner from the jim dandy i'm more positive on artorias same type of path as sire took i was there to see that performance and not expecting a repeat of that but Artorius ran with ease, and as mentioned, don't believe the extra eighth of a mile is going to matter. 
The other one that I'm very interested in is charge it. If these two go to post, say, 5-2, to two, I'm in. Let's face it. Rich Strike will take public money along with those who will be on Epicenter and Cyberknife. I may be looking at 9-2 on the two I am most interested in. Now, Jay kind of goes against that philosophy and that feeling uh, as far as his opinion of certain horses is concerned. Matt, I think you're underselling Epicenter. You seem to be relying way too heavily on his buyers. I'm not on anyone's bandwagon, but if you consider that the Jim Dandy was a means to an end and that he won easily despite closing into a tepid pace for these horses, he's got room for a big jump in his numbers. I will concede that Aspison wanted to win here not only for a confidence builder, but also to give Epicenter excuse me, another graded stakes win. As I said, I think you're not giving him enough credit. I agree with you regarding early voting in Zandon, although I don't believe the latter will be compromised going 10 furlongs. His Jim Dandy was better than what it seemed, considering he was chasing and not in his usual position. Keep up the great work here on NBC. Uh, so these two comments, we'll kind of put them together a little bit, and also how they tie into the older horses that we just chatted about. I think Bill's point is very interesting in that Artorius and Charge It could fly a little under the radar simply because of name recognition for the others. To Jay's point, Epicenter has probably proven more, or he's certainly proven more, than, than either Artorius or Charge It. But when we're talking about speed figures... Epicenter is not the fastest three-year-old. Epicenter has kind of done this. For those of you that are just listening, I'm just, I've got my marker going in a straight line level. His last five races, here in buyers between 98 and 102. He is extremely consistent. And maybe a 102 will be fast enough to win the Travers. But Charge It has already run much faster, earned that 111 in the Dwyer, albeit against inferior and going one turn compared to two turn mile and a quarter. And Artorius is still slower than Epicenter, but he's so lightly raced that you think you can at least project a forward move, assuming he handles the class test, which he very may very well not. But that's the beauty of it from a gambling standpoint. And that's my only point with Epicenter. Someone else in the comments noted that I've gotten off the Epicenter bandwagon at the wrong time. It's not that I'm off the bandwagon. I've always believed he is among the best three-year-olds. Go back to the show's from earlier this year, specifically in February, when he's running down at the fairgrounds. I said, I think he's a derby horse. The, the concern with Epicenter is not so much that he's not fast. He is fast. I want to see a forward move. The concern is more about his odds in a race like the Travers. He's going to be the favorite. And do I... If the race is going to take a 102, or if it'll take a 102 to win, then yes, Epicenter is right there. I'm of the belief that it'll take somewhere between a 105 and a 107 or a 108 to win this year's Travers, assuming these three-year-olds continue to progress and someone takes a step forward. If none of them take a step forward, Epicenter probably wins. But if someone moves forward, a 102 should not be good enough to win, in my opinion, with the way these three-year-olds have, have progressed throughout the year. Epicenter, when you plateau a bit, I get a little concerned. And it's not a matter, again, of he can't win. It's that, do I want to find out that he can or can't win at a really short price compared to an Artorius, who, no, is not nearly as fast right now, but he gives off every indication that he's going to improve. He's going to take a step forward. 
He's going to be four times, five times the price. I'm willing to gamble on that. Charge it has already run faster and is likely to be 2x the price of Epicenter, somewhere thereabouts. That's appealing to me. Cyberknife, probably going to be a few x the price of Epicenter and is run as fast. So it, it, if you want to say to, to Jay's point that I am relying too much on speed figures, then that, that's a hill that I will die on every day of the week. Figs are figs for a reason. They are meant to give us an indication of how fast or slow certain horses are. Epicenter is still among the fastest three-year-olds, but he has not gotten appreciably faster in any of the last five starts. These other horses are going to offer better prices, and they have more scope for improvement at this point, in my opinion. I could be entirely wrong, and I'm willing to admit that. I've admitted it before. I'll admit it again. Uh, but that would be my only concern. If Epicenter was a horse going off at 8-1, to one, this is a no-brainer. Slam dunk, push your chips in. But you're talking about a horse that's probably 9-5, to 2-1, to 5-2 to max, I would think, in the Travers. And if he doesn't have a, any real edge on the field... Is that that appealing? I'm not saying leave him off of pick tickets, but from a win standpoint, purely a, a win bet, I think that's probably going to be a little bit light as far as value is concerned. And that's the only reason I bring these sort of things up. Um, every, every horse has a price. Now, how far do you want to go from a gambling standpoint? That's up to you as the gambler and the handicapper. But that's my only voice of caution for Epicenter is he looked fantastic. Mile and a quarter is not going to be a problem for him. He's probably going to run his race. Might be, might even be good enough. But if anyone takes a step forward, he's going to need to do the same. Because right now he's not fast enough. And then how all of these horses relate to the Classic and the Whitney that we just talked about, not even including the West Coast runners, Flightline and Country Grammar most notably, they all need to take steps forward. If they're going to be, and I, I said it a few weeks ago when I brought up that this classic field already is shaping up to be one of the best in the past decade, these three-year-olds still got to hold up their end of the bargain. Because to this point right now, and the big race is coming, the Travers, the Pennsylvania Derby, those two, I'm expecting someone to, to jump up. But you're probably looking at a high 100, low 1-teen buyer to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic this year. Maybe even a mid-1-teen. And Epicenter is frankly not close to that right now. Cyberknife's not there yet, but he continues to improve. Artorius is not close to that, but he's improving. You know, you look at a horse like Charge It. He's already close to that on numbers. It was one race, and he needs to back that up, but he's at least shown that it's there. Epicenter has not. Zandon has not. Early voting, that 105 in the Preakness... Maybe it was kind of fluky. I don't know. I still think he's a good horse. He just ran terribly last weekend or two weekends ago. So there, there are, it's the beauty of handicapping, projecting. Who do you think is going to move forward and why? Do you think this horse, his plateaued, isn't going to get any better? All these different things come into it. But as far as these three-year-olds and how they relate to the older horses, there is still ground to make up. And in some cases, substantial ground. Let me know your thoughts about these races. These horses beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So we're going to button this thing up 
As always, thank you for listening. However you check the podcast out, it means a great deal to me and everybody at In The Money Media. We've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernie or show. You will get this episode along with the 125 prior. We'll be back on Thursday for another edition of Horse Players Happy Hour. Next week is a big week. Um, I'm going to be going somewhere. I'll wait to tell you next week. Maybe be on Thursday and Horse Players Happy Hour. Just got to cross the T's, dot the I's real quick. But got a trip coming up for a big event, big horse race. You can probably put it together, two and two, what race I'm talking about. Coming up, not this coming weekend, next weekend. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. And there will be plenty of content talking about that coming up as well. As always, again, thank you. Please rate, review, subscribe, bell icon lit up over on YouTube so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. That's going to do it for episode 126 of the pod. Until next Monday, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 126 of the Matt Burnier Show.